Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About? presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. My name is Bob. As always, I'm hanging out talking sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much. It's been kind of a crazy weekend. Had a lot of football. Covered a high school game. Covered the Buckeyes. Covered the Browns. Just got back from covering the Browns, actually. So, been a fun football weekend and uh, had a lot of, had a lot of football, just like we've been doing on our podcast for the last couple weeks here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did not work around football, but I had a chance to watch lots of football. Uh, every part of my body wants to talk football with you right now on this podcast, but we would be doing another sport a great injustice if we did not take some time and talk about the MLB. Two weeks out from postseason play, and there are lots of playoff pictures up in the air for a lot of these teams. So we wanted to take a break from football and talk some baseball with you guys. Believe you me, we're definitely going to talk about some football at the end. So if you if if you're coming here just for football talk, we will squeeze some in for you at the end. But and let's be real here, we just spent seven straight podcasts on college football and pro football. So I think our listeners have gotten their football fix for a while. We can afford just a little break. Yeah, we're we're keeping it real right here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So what's you know there are a lot of playoff races going. There are a couple teams out in the lead. I think the Cardinals are the only team that has clinched a playoff berth as of right now. Most teams have 14 games left to play somewhere around there. Chris, what do you want to start with first? What's the team that that we should start with? Well, let's give some love to the team that has the most wins in the American League, and that's the Kansas City Royals. 87 wins. A lot of people didn't pick them to do much this year. I think a lot of people pick them to have an off year and not even make the playoffs including both of us on this podcast we kind of discarded them in our preview we really haven't given them a lot of respect all year and so I think that they have earned uh, a lot of people's attention being the defending league champions going out during the trade deadline and making some key acquisitions and now that they're they've kept the momentum up now their last 10 they're four and six but how much of that is the fact that they're up 11 games in the central division and all but assured that championship that division title the only real question is whether or not the royals or the blue jays will finish one or two because i don't see the Yankees or the Rangers at 80 and 81 wins being 6 and 7 back respectively catching the Royals for that number 1 seed. The Blue Jays however are two games behind the Royals, so they certainly could overtake them for the number 1 spot. I think that's the only drama regarding Kansas City right now. Yeah, um definitely. I think well, I think there is another subplot going on not that's going to affect their playoff chances, but Johnny Cueto is a mess right now and he needs to right the ship and get back to form get back to the guy that they traded for otherwise their postseason run when the postseason actually starts is going to end pretty quickly i think because he he is definitely their best pitcher he's their ace he's uh the guy that they got at the trade deadline when they could have gotten cole hamels or david price they got johnny cueto instead and he started off great, but since uh, late August and going into now, he has had a very high ERA, has had lots of losses. They need to, to figure out what's going on with him in these last two weeks and not focus about that getting that top record in, in the American League. They need to f- figure out Johnny Cueto. 
Certainly. I mean, it is concerning that Cueto has struggled. It's concerning for my fantasy team, too, because he was on my American League-only team. I bid big on him when he came over to the American League. So I certainly hope he rides the ship in the last two weeks so I can hold on to my lead in the point standings. But on a more serious note, you're right. I mean, if he's not pitching at a very high level, the Royals probably aren't going to go very far. I say probably because you don't win 87 games on one guy. I know Cueto is a big part of that team, especially since they traded to get him for the second half. But I'm not just going to discount them if one guy doesn't have it right. They certainly do need him to right the ship. But I still think that they are a talented enough team, especially with that bullpen, that three-armed monster they got there. So I think that the Royals will be fine, and I think Cueto will figure it out as well. He's uh, too talented of a pitcher not to. But you're right, that is probably the biggest concern for them going into the postseason. Yeah, definitely. And then to answer your original question, I think the Blue Jays will have the best record in the American League when the season ends. Because of Johnny Cueto's struggles, uh, I I think the, the Blue Jays are still riding momentum from the David Price and Troy Tulowitzki act acquisitions i know tulowitzki is out for the remainder of the regular season but they still have david price who did not fall off when they acquired him he's still lights out right now and is leading that charge and they still have a lights out lineup i think they are going to continue and eventually overtake the royals uh probably within the next week yeah i agree with you there i like toronto a lot I mean, look at their run differential. Two, plus 213. The second closest team is St. Louis at plus 113. And the funny part about that is St. Louis has scored about, what, 200 and, about what 223 fewer runs than the Blue Jays. So yeah. it's insane what Toronto is doing up there with their bats. And then they go out and get a legitimate ace in David Price, who I, I always find it funny. They... Everyone in the media was saying the Blue Jays are X since they got Troy Tulowitzki, but Troy Tulowitzki wasn't playing that well for them. It was David Price, who was the lights-out trade acquisition, really solidified that staff, made R.A. Dickey the number two, and he also turned his season around. He started off slow, and now he's starting to pitch very well as well. So Toronto is definitely clicking on all cylinders. I would not want to face the Blue Jays in the postseason. No, definitely not. In the postseason, uh they are they're going to be a scary team to face especially if david price can continue his season into uh into october i mean he's been 7 and 1 since the tigers traded for him he's 16 and 5 overall has a low era he could be the first pitcher to be traded in the season and win the cy young since uh 1983 i believe so watch out for them i really do like them uh, heading into the postseason but the AL East is probably going to send two teams to the postseason. The New York Yankees are in the lead for the first wild card spot. They have a three and a half game lead over the Astros, who are sitting in the second wild card spot, eighty-one and sixty-six. They're really not that far behind the Blue Jays. I mean, they have a three-game deficit that they could make up on. Do you think the Yankees are a playoff team? Do you think they're going to win the AL East? Certainly a playoff team. I don't know if they'll catch Toronto. They're within striking distance, no doubt. But I just think the Blue Jays are riding such a high. They're clicking on all cylinders. It's not like they're chasing the Royals. I think if the Royals were in the East and the Blue Jays were in the Central, maybe the Yankees could catch the Royals. And that's no disrespect to Kansas City, but the Royals are in a little bit of a funk right now, like you mentioned with Cueto. 
I don't think they're going to touch the Blue Jays. I think the Blue Jays will play well enough to hold them off down the stretch. Yeah, Mark Teixeira's injury, uh, season-ending injury, doesn't help. Uh, I look at this lineup, and still in September, usually the playoff teams, uh, you look at their lineups and their, and their rotations, and you're like, oh, that that's a playoff team. I still look at the Yankees, and I'm amazed that they're 81 and 66 right now. Um, Tanaka is a faux ace. I mean, he's very hot and very cold. And then the guys behind him are even worse, Sabathia, Nova, and Pineda. They, I, you just don't know what they're going to give you night in and night out. But for whatever reason, it is working for them this year, and they're riding that lightning. I, but that does not give me confidence to, to pick them to really do anything other than uh, win that wild card spot, which I think they're in a really good position to do. Yeah, when you're up three and a half games on the wild card, on the second wild card, excuse me, so they're in the driver's seat for that first wild card spot. I don't see a scenario where the Yankees miss the playoffs. I think even if they just played 500 ball, they'd get one of those two wild card spots. So it's going to be very hard for them to miss it completely. But you're right, they're not a roster that screams confidence, especially with Mark Teixeira's injury. The rotation after Tanaka is questionable. And quite frankly, I mean, their their bullpen is okay. It has a couple of good arms down there, but not, they're not a team that you're really scared of. And so, I mean, it makes sense that they're going to be a wild card team, but it wouldn't surprise me if they don't make it out of that wild card game. Yeah, no, I I just can't pick them to to go anywhere really. But I mean, they're defying my predictions all year. So who, what do I know? <laughs> but the interesting part of the American League is not in the East sort of in the central, not not the division or anything like that, but it's this mess of teams fighting for both the American League West and the second wildcard spot. And the American League West somehow is in play, even though the Houston Astros in July had a seven-game lead on the division. And now all of a sudden they find themselves in the second wildcard position with a couple of teams, mainly Minnesota, Cleveland, and Anaheim, or excuse me, the Los Angeles Angels, chasing them. Minnesota and Los Angeles, two and a half games out. Cleveland, four games out. Baltimore, a distant five and a half games out. But it's mainly those three teams I mentioned before. And then those Texas Rangers have just been on fire. They are now leading the division after destroying Houston in a four-game series to take a a one-and-a-half game lead on the division. Bob, first, what do you think of the Texas Rangers? And second, how do you think this is all going to shake down? Well, we alluded to the Rangers in our last podcast. And uh, a week later, I'm still kind of in shock that they're they're capturing this run right now. The Cole Hamels acquisition looks like a good move. And they have a solid rotation with him, Holland, and Giovanni Gallardo at the top. That's not a bad rotation to be riding into September Prince Fielder's had a good year. Um, they seem like the team that is surging at the perfect time, whereas the Astros are 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 the wheels are falling off. Every year uh, in September, we see a team surge and we see a team derail, and it seems like the Rangers are that are the team that's going to claim the playoff spot, and the Astros, who have been in the driver's seat for about three months of the season since uh, since the springtime, really, uh, I. I think they're going to continue to fall off the map. So you don't think they're even going to get that wild card spot? You think one of those other three teams are going to catch them? I do. Yeah, I I just think that they are the team this year that that loses it all late in the season in an embarrassing fashion. 
Yeah, I mean, it's tough for me because I really like the Astros, as you know. That was like the gem of my preseason prediction is that I said the Astros would win a wild card spot. And now it looks like that is in serious jeopardy. I kind of agree with you. I do think one of those three teams will catch them. I hope it's the Cleveland Indians because I really don't want both of my preseason World Series picks to not make the playoffs. That would be kind of embarrassing. But that's a long shot for the Tribe. They're four games out. The good news is they have seven of their last games, seven of their last, what, 13 games against the Minnesota Twins down the stretch here. So that is obvious. Those those two series are obviously going to play a big factor in this race for the second wild card spot. Yeah, and conversely, the, the Astros are going into a six-game stretch against the Angels and the, and the Rangers. So a lot... A lot of progress can be made uh, for these teams. Uh, they, they play each other a lot going down the stretch. Uh, anything can happen, but I just I just don't see the Astros being able to right the ship with all those young guys that they have. Yeah, well, I mean, which one of those three do you think will step up and get that second wild card spot then? Do you believe in curses? Do I believe in curses? No. Well, I do, so I'm picking the Angels. <laughs> You're not going to pick the tribe. Okay, I gotcha. I mean, it makes sense for the Angels or the Twins. Four games is a lot to make up, especially since the Indians only play the Twins and they don't get to play the Angels or the Astros down the stretch. So they'll need some help. They'll need the Rangers to beat the Angels and the Astros in both series they play. And then the Indians will probably have to take about five from the Twins and really take care of business. I mean, I'm talking sweeps here. They can't just win two out of three. They're going to have to sweep either Boston or Kansas City down the stretch to really make up this ground. It's a tall order for them. I think that they're a team nobody wants to see in the postseason because the offense is finally turning the corner and they have a great rotation. But I don't think it'll be enough down the stretch. I think they fall just short and the Los Angeles Angels will claim the second wild card. Wow, I can't believe... Of all the options we had there, with a lot of pride on the line, uh, we both ended up on the Angels, who we both did not predict to make the playoffs. I think you picked the Angels. I think you had them in the second wild card spot. Oh yeah, you know you're right. I forgot my my <laughs> the rest of my picks were so horrendous. I mean, I had the Mariners winning that division. Yeah. I think I had the Tribe in the wild card. Don't get me started on Seattle. That team just very disappointing. I mean, it has to be their pitching. Their offense isn't bad. They got some bats in there, but. That's just yeah. That's a team a lot of people thought would be a serious contender in the American League, and really fell flat this year. Yeah, definitely one of the the bigger disappointments in the MLB. Um, Robinson Cano had a really strange first half. I don't think that helped their team, but yeah, it had to be the pitching. I think. But all right, so that's our American League side. The National League looks a little bit more clear and cut. And obviously the division to watch there is the NL Central. The Cardinals, Pirates, and Cubs are probably all going to make the postseason. The Cubs are in the second wildcard position with a nine-game lead over San Francisco and Washington, who are both 78 and 71. So unless the Cubs are truly cursed and lose every game from now until the end of the season, they're probably going to make the playoffs. The Pirates are 11 up on the Giants and Nationals, and two up on the Cubs for the first wild card spot. So it pretty much is not a matter of 
who's going to make the playoffs among those three central teams. It's which one's going to win the division. So, Bob, which one do you think is going to win the division? I think it's going to stand pat. Um, I, I, I'm not going to predict who's going to win the the first wild card and the second wild card, but I think the Cardinals are going to win that division. They have a four game lead over the Pirates, six games over the Cubs. I know they're going to play each other a lot down the stretch, but uh, the Cardinals have the best record in the MLB. They have the best rotation in the MLB uh, and a really good bullpen on top of that. Their offense uh, struggled a little bit, and then it started to click uh, about last weekend. I think they started to turn it on. So I, I think they're getting ready for their postseason run. I think they're going to hang on to this division. Yeah, it's hard to pick against a team that's been so consistent, especially when they have a four-game lead and a six-game lead down the stretch over the two teams chasing them. So, yeah, I'm not going to pick against the Cardinals. What's intriguing about all this, though, is that the Pirates and Cubs will play the one-game playoff, probably. And then the winner of that goes to play St. Louis, no matter what, because that's how it's seated. Because St. Louis is probably going to be the number one team. They have an eight-game lead over the Dodgers for the number one seed. So they are probably going to be the number one team, or whoever wins the Central will probably win the number one team because the Pirates and the Cubs actually have a better record than any other team. Those are the top three teams in the league by record, which is kind of crazy that they're all in the same division. But when you look at the fact that the Reds and the Brewers are 63-85 and 63-86, it probably has a lot to do with the fact that they're beating up on those two teams. Um, because the other divisions don't have, well, no, never mind. I mean, the Phillies are 56 and 94, Braves are 60 and 90. So I, I guess there's some cupcakes in the other divisions too, but it certainly helps that they have the Reds and the Brewers to beat up on. So that'll be well, an intriguing I mean, dynamic. And that works both ways. You know, the, the, the Reds and Brewers, their record is so bad because those three teams are so good. It's, I mean, Granted, they are the two worst teams in that division, but I don't know. It's hard to to differentiate between the the worst team and I. I don't know. They, I'm sure the Reds and Brewers. A lot of those losses are coming against their in division. No, that is a good superiors. So. That's a good point too. But and I agree with you. I don't think it's a big deal between the Cubs and the Pirates who wins the number one wild card because. I don't think home field means that much in baseball. I think pitching is what wins in the postseason. And if you have an ace, you can transcend playing on the road. The Royals were the number five team, the number two wild card, and went to the uh, you know World Series last year. So it doesn't matter to me who gets the number one and number two wild card. Wild card versus division is obviously where it's at. And I think the Cardinals will hold on to the Central. Yeah, definitely. All right, so the other two division races are not that exciting because the Giants and the Nationals, especially the Nationals, the Giants are seven and a half games out of their division. The Nationals, six and a half games out. We said before they're both nine games out of the number two wild card. Do those two teams have any chance of making the playoffs? Uh, Not that I can tell unless... Bryce Harper starts pitching as well as hitting and does it just as good. I don't, I mean, the team around him is, is falling apart despite what looks like a historic year for him. Um, Steven Strasburg is putting together some good starts. Maybe that will turn into some momentum, but 
I, I just don't see it. I mean, if, if it was going to happen, it should have happened months ago at this point for the Nationals. They should have sealed this win in the division a long time ago, and they let the Mets just take it over, and the Mets have all the momentum. The Mets haven't really shown any signs of slowing down. I I can't see it happening. And the Giants, I mean, they've, they've steadily hung behind the Dodgers, but I don't think they've ever really been considered a threat to win that division and have haven't really been able to put together a, a hot streak. They've just been kind of solid the whole year. So I don't really see them as a threat for the West either. Yeah, I mean, how about the Nationals? You gotta look at them as one of the biggest disappointments in baseball. And it's hard to say that about a team that's seventy eight and seventy one. But going into the season there was such high expectations with that rotation signing Max Scherzer. Nationals fans certainly were very hungry for a postseason run after being close to it the last three years. It is a disappointing year for Washington to lose like this, to be six and a half out and really have no shot at the playoffs unless the Mets completely implode. But ever since they traded for a Johannes Cespedes, that has just solved all their offensive problems. We said it in our trade deadline special, get a bat, any bat. They needed guys. They got the best bet. And they got a guy who has just been destroying it. Intriguing question, Bob. Would you vote Bryce Harper or Cespedes MVP for National League MVP? It's hard to justify Cespedes as the National League MVP since he spent majority of his time in the American League. But how could he not be the most valuable player for the Mets who are going to win the AL East from a juggernaut? in the Washington nationals and Bryce Harper's playing on what was regarded as one of the, the second most talented team in the national league, probably second to the Dodgers. So I don't, if I had a vote, I would vote for Cespedes just because I think what he's doing is amazing and is uh, an amazing story and, and people should get behind it. And I'm just not a fan of Bryce Harper. And I think that, fact that Bryce Harper is a very uh, controversial figure in baseball. A lot of people just like to not like him. I think that's going to cost him some votes. It might cost him the MVP combining that with the fact that the Nationals are falling out of the playoff picture. The thing is, though, in baseball, historic seasons, big numbers generally trump team performance unlike in some of these other sports like in the nba if your team is well if your team isn't a top two team in the nba you're not going to win mvp in the nfl if you're not a quarterback or you don't rush for like 2500 yards you're not going to win the mvp so the point is i think harper can still win it but i will say cespedes has come to the national league and torn it up the mets were a terrible offense one of the worst offenses in baseball he comes in, and now their offense is respectable. They've scored 626 runs, a plus 67 run differential. That's a huge turnaround from what they were in July, and he is the primary reason for that. So if you're voting for the most valuable player to his team, how can you not say Johannes Cespedes has been that more important than any other player in the National League because the Mets were not winning this division without him? I absolutely agree. And um, if Bryce Harper does win this MVP award and if the Nationals don't make the playoffs as we predicted, as it looks like they are, they're trending that way, it would be the first MVP in the National League to go to a non-playoff team since 2008 when it went to Albert Pujols. So 
Harper is having a historic year that could justify it. He's definitely having an Albert Pujols prime type year. So I could definitely see it going that way. But uh, history actually trends towards you have to make the playoffs to win win the MVP in baseball. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you. Cespedes is the MVP of the National League, even if he doesn't get the votes to, to in name. No, I agree. I mean, I, I certainly think if you're talking most valuable to his team, the Mets, again, they weren't winning this division without him. The Nationals were in control. Then they go out and get Cespedes. A couple other bats, but but Cespedes was the big one. And he has just lit a fire under that offense. We didn't talk about American yeah. League MVP, but is there any doubt that it's Josh Donaldson? Uh, if the Angels overtake the West, you could make the argument for Mike Trout again. I think there's some trout fatigue, though. I think it has to be Josh Donaldson at this point. I, I think the fact that Josh Donaldson came to Toronto and took them from a maybe playoff team to a juggernaut, he's going to get the bulk of the credit for that. I think that's going to help him a lot, and his numbers are fantastic. So I think I would give it to Donaldson. I certainly wouldn't mind if Trout won. He, you know, certainly worthy of it. I'm not saying I wouldn't mind Trout, but I think Donaldson was a little bit more impressive for me. Yeah, I think at this point, I mean, Trout isn't doing anything less than the last two years. He would have to lead the Angels on a on a great run to finish the season. They'd have to win the division, and he'd have to hit lights out for these last two weeks for for it to be a, a tight race. But, uh, yeah, I think Donaldson deserves it. All right, we mentioned Seattle in the American League. We mentioned Washington in the National League. Is there anyone else you want to label a biggest disappointment, or you think we're good with those two? Yeah, um, I mean, the Padres deserve an honorable mention. Uh, they were kind of dis- divisive uh, heading into the season. I think the Orioles deserve some mention, though that division was regarded as in flux. But I think the Mariners and, and the Nationals for sure are the two biggest ones, and the Nationals have to be the the biggest disappointment with the payroll, with the Scherzer addition, with Harper having this historic season yet it not being good enough for them to make the playoffs uh they have to be the biggest disappointment i do like it think it's funny though most people will say the minnesota twins have had a great season they're 76 and 73 and the nationals are 78 and 71 and everyone's saying it's a huge disappointment and rightfully so but it is funny how expectations shape your perceptions and stuff like that i would be remiss if i didn't mention the cleveland indians at 74 and 74 picked by most to win the world series before the season began including your truly right here again they still could do it they're not out of the playoffs yet but i think the fact that you are kind of a long shot to make it and only 500 when you're picked to win the world series that has to be a bit of a disappointment you'd like to see them closing in on clinching a playoff spot not fighting for their playoff lives at this point in the year yeah well to your defense as many people picked the Indians to win the World Series as did them to not even make the playoffs. That Central right. Division was hard to pick. The NL East, I don't think a single pundit out there picked a team other than the Nationals to win that division. Yeah, I think a couple people said the Mets were a dark horse wild card team, and some people had them as a wild card. But yes, you're right. The Nationals should have won that division. The Indians, I agree with you. It was a polarizing World Series pick for Sports Illustrated, and I certainly think it left some people scratching their heads. So you're right. I mean, I don't think everyone was saying the Indians were by far and away the favorites to win the World Series, but it's still disappointing when you're at least picked to make the playoffs by a lot of people, and you're fighting for your playoff life. 
yeah, definitely to come in with that kind of hype for, for a team like that. And then to not meet the expectations going to leave a sour taste for sure. I will say this though. If the Indians make the playoffs, there is not a team in the field that wants to face that rotation. Salazar, Kluber, oh, definitely and not. Carrasco. There is not a team in the field that wants that. Not even Toronto. I'm telling you, if they limp in, I, I'm not saying they're going to do it. I said they would preseason, but I mean, I certainly think that they'd be one of the deadliest teams in the field. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, for sure, they'd have to get to a an actual best of series for that strength to show through. But uh, I agree with you that the rotation is scary. It's probably the strongest in the American League. All right, Bob. We just went thirty about thirty minutes without talking football. I'm already in withdrawal. Yeah, yeah, me too. Let's all right. Let's <laughs> goodbye baseball. We'll talk to you, talk about you in the World Series, I guess. <laughs> Maybe a little bit sooner. We'll do a playoff preview, probably. I mean, come on, we got we got to hype up the playoffs a little bit. That's a fun time. Yeah, no, we'll 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 come back to it before that. If uh, I just made you mad and you're a baseball fan, but I mean. Big week in college football, for sure. There are definitely some games we need to talk about. Um, let's start at the top, though. You were there live for Ohio State versus Northern Illinois. Man, that was a scary game. It had to be a scary game for all the Buckeye fans. I'm sure you were uh, sweating a little bit. What was it 20 to 13 well, was the final score? Well, I wasn't cheering. I was in a press box. There's no cheering in the press box, but that doesn't mean I can't sweat a little bit. Uh, 20 to 13 was the final, and let me tell you, it, it felt a lot closer than that because the Buckeyes offense only scored one touchdown. Their other touchdown came on a pick six, and Northern Illinois, quite frankly, had plenty of opportunities to win that game. Uh, I don't understand what Northern Illinois was. You know, they called it kind of an odd game. They were a throwing team, but they ran the ball a lot. They were conservative, understandably so, because Ohio State has a very good secondary. And so I think Northern Illinois played a little bit of a more conservative game than they normally do, but it worked for them. And the Buckeyes offense just could not do anything really and it didn't matter if it was Cardell Jones who did not look good at all he was four of nine through two bad interceptions and quite frankly I know I said I wanted Cardell Jones on our Clee Talk podcast I am you know I just want the Browns to draft a quarterback now I don't particularly care what the name is but I don't see him as a first round draft pick with the way he's played to to this point in the regular season and it kind of only reinforces my my adamancy when everyone was saying he should have gone to the NFL draft last year I still don't think he should have because I think with the way he's played now he might not even made an NFL roster or being drafted very high through the combine process so I think coming back to school was good for him because now he can at least develop a little bit more and now he hasn't you know cashed in on that ticket that may not have hit big but Cardell Jones aside, the offensive line for Ohio State has a a lot of soul-searching to do because they were not winning at the line of scrimmage. Ezekiel Elliott, yeah, he cranked out a 100-yard game, but his longest run was 13 yards, and that was the longest run of the day. And you're talking about an offense that has Ezekiel Elliott and Braxton Miller, and you can only get a 13-yard run. I'm sorry, you need more explosive plays out of your running game, and that starts at the point of attack. They're not winning up front. Urban Meyer has said it repeatedly in his press conference. That needs to get fixed, and it has four returning starters from last year. So there's something going on there. I don't know what, but I'm confident that Ohio State can fix this because last year they were 2-1 and one at this point. 
They can't, They went 1-1 one one when they lost terribly to Virginia Tech. I covered that game as well. I left the stadium saying that they would lose five games that year. They went on to win a national title. Ohio State is still 3-0. and Even if they're not number one in the next poll, they are still in a playoff position. They still control their own destiny to make the college football playoff as defending the national champs. Florida State last year looked anemic. They almost lost They almost lost a bunch of games last year, but they made it because they were undefeated and they were the defending champs. Ohio State will be there if they win all their games. They don't have to worry about that. What they do have to worry about is getting through Big Ten play unscathed because now the schedule that looked pretty easy, there might be some more challenges in it if Ohio State keeps playing this way, and certainly Michigan State is licking its chops at seeing the Buckeyes struggle the way they are. Yeah, um... Well, first off, they are number one in the poll. Uh, AP poll and coaches poll both came out today. They're still number one. I think if that at the conclusion of that game, I thought that if Alabama blew Ole Miss out of the water, I think they might have overtaken Ohio State at number one. Actually, I think if uh, Alabama had just won that game or a top 15 team when the number one team struggles to beat a MAC team, it certainly would have overtaken them. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that game in a second, but... 2015 seems to be the drought of the starting quarterback and I thought going into the season that Ohio State was the one one of the few teams that had the luxury of knowing that they had a plethora of good quarterbacks really I mean they had too many and I think that is turning into a, an overabundance that is that is hurting their roster they need to pick a quarterback either stick with Jones or go with Barrett and and end the debate I know that. Well, in there, I know that it seemed. Well, I'm sorry to just cut you off, but in their defense, they did pick Jones, even though they haven't come out and said it. He started every game. But I mean, Barrett comes in, and he. Yeah, but Barrett he, came in for the most part this last game. I mean, he played. I mean, this was the first real yank, was putting Barrett in this game and playing him for three quarters. Yeah, they. I don't think they have been very definitive in naming Jones the starting quarterback these first three games, and I don't think that has given him confidence. Every interception he throws, I think he's looking over his shoulder and wondering if if Barrett's going to get put in. And it finally did happen. Uh, Barrett has seen playing time in those first two games. I think they just need to make a decision and go with it until until really uh, he they look terrible. They they hurt themselves. I think it's really hurting their confidence. These two guys combined have yet to start a whole season. You know, like Barrett did not finish a whole season starting. Jones has not played enough games to 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 consider a whole season so they are still relatively young and inexperienced this whole dual quarterback pseudo controversy is not uh helping them at all no i agree that that urban does need to pick a guy but i will say though in jt Barrett's defense he kind of tripped right at the finish line there he got hurt in like the third quarter of the michigan game so yeah, uh, I yeah. know, but he did. He no, did, I agree. I agree. I mean, you're right. You're right. He didn't finish the season. You're right. I mean, he didn't play in the postseason. You're right. I'm not saying that, but you know, he he certainly through no fault of his own, he was playing fantastic. And no, I agree. And and right now, I mean, the offense looked a little bit better with JT Barrett running it, but it's going to be an interesting week for the Buckeyes. I'm actually going to be covering the game on Saturday as well. I just found that out. So hopefully, uh, who do they play? Western Michigan. Which should be an easier game. Ah. Does Western Michigan or is it Eastern that has the really good running back? I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know yet. I think it might be Western actually. So uh, we'll see. 
but still, yeah, it's just a Mac team. They need to beat to win. <laughs> they need to beat that team. Well, and it's, I think I mean, one it, one. It, I'm sorry, not to cut you off again, but in defense of Northern Illinois, if you're gonna play a Mac team, at least play the Mac team that's been the five straight Mac championship games. <laughs> I, I'm just saying they they are probably the best of the Mac. I'm not saying they shouldn't that that there's any excuse for Ohio State to struggle against them, but they at least played the best of them. I don't. I don't know what I like. I. I mean, I don't really know what that means. Really, <laughs> like they played a Mac school. It's a Mac school. It's a good Mac school. They went to a BCS bowl a few years ago. They went to the Orange Bowl. That was a few years ago. That I, was 2012. The success and talent of a Mac school is very fleeting. And I, hey. three years ago, I don't think that team hey. stat bomb. program is still there. One last stat bomb for you. Two teams have won 11 games each of the last five years. Oregon's one of them. Guess who the other one is? Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois. That's kind of crazy, though. I will say, even though you're in the MAC, they are at least the best team in the MAC. Yes. <laughs> yes, they are. But <laughs> you're the best school in the country. <laughs> I'm not saying, I am not giving you, I'm not making an excuse for Ohio State. I am saying, though, that Northern Illinois is not a terrible Mac school. Okay. Mac school. Hey, look, man, I'm not making any excuses for Ohio State. I'm not making any excuses, and they need to handle Western Michigan this week because Western Michigan is not one of the best teams in the Mac. No, sir. Hey, at least they didn't lose to a Mac school. That's the thing, though. They still won the game. They're still 3-0. I'm not saying that they... they look, you're the number one team in the nation. When you're playing a non-Fire 5 team, you got to take care of your business. You got to win convincingly. They didn't do that. They deserve scrutiny. But let's also not just completely underestimate Northern Illinois because they have had a lot of success over the last five years. And at the same time, I, I do think if they win the MAC, they have the talent to maybe be the highest-ranking Group of Five champion with Boise State's loss. But we'll see if that plays out. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, all right, let's move on. Um, number two was hosting Ole Miss. Alabama hosting Ole Miss uh, Saturday night. Ole Miss, it looked like they were going to run away with it, and then Alabama came back, and then it looked like Alabama was going to tie it. But Ole Miss held on. They upset Alabama. They skyrocketed. They're now number third in the AP poll. Uh, did you have a chance to watch that game? I did not. No, I was driving back from Columbus all night. So I, I watched the only college football game I watched was the one I covered. It was a very, so the clash of Ole Miss and Alabama, Ole Miss known for their, uh, high flying offense. Alabama has always been known for their, their hard hitting front seven. Uh, you, you were just kind of wondering what was going to give Ole Miss rolled out with Chad Kelly and, and he had a really good game. Alabama I think Nick Saban got a little too cute, and he rolled out Cooper Bateman for his first SEC start of the year. I don't really know why they went away from Jacob Coker, who was their starter for the first two games, and it really didn't work well. Bateman did not play well. Coker eventually came in and and took took the job back over middle of the game. I I I thought it was a very poor choice for an offense that just needs to give Derrick Henry the ball. Really, I I don't know why he was tinkering with the 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 quarterbacks it was the during the biggest game of, of the start of their season. It was very interesting. 
Yeah, for an all-time great coach, Nick Saban has certainly had his fair share of head-scratching decisions. Uh, the one that comes to mind is running that fake punt on 4th and 22 in the national title game versus Texas. They won because Colt McCoy got hurt, of course. Um, you know, And then against Auburn, allowing them to run that kickback when your special teams, you know, not telling them, hey, it's a long field goal, get ready to tackle. Uh, and he has had his fair share of uh, head-scratching gas. But I guess, you know, when you have a lot of rings, you know, those get overlooked. Look, let's focus on Ole Miss. This is a huge win for them, just like it was last year. And here's what I'm getting at. The SEC has been a conference dominated by four teams over the last seven or eight years, and they're the four that's won national titles, Florida, LSU, Auburn, and Alabama. Now, Florida is down. LSU is solid. Auburn dropped in the polls because they struggled to beat an FCS team, but they're still strong. And then there's Alabama, who's been the king of the SEC for a while now. We have seen almost every year the SEC champion have one loss, which means somebody from the middle tier, team like Georgia, South Carolina, or at one point it was Arkansas, now it's the Mississippi schools. Some point they usually stumble to one of these teams. Kentucky once beat LSU in the 07 uh, title year when LSU won the title. The problem is those schools never seize that momentum and finish the deal like Old Miss and Mississippi State couldn't do last year. What I want to know is, is this going to be different? Is Old Miss finally ready to take the next step, not just beating the big dog, but taking advantage of the path beating the big dog puts you on? Because now you have to seal the deal. Now you have to take the next step. You've gotten by Alabama. Now you've got to get up for the little schools. You cannot be susceptible to an upset. And that's what separates the teams that are always in BCS Bowls, that win national championships and make multiple national championship games from the schools that just get up and win one big game and fade away. Can Ole Miss seal the deal after beating Alabama now for the second year in a row? I think they can. I picked them to win the SEC West for a reason. That wasn't a random guess of mine. I think they're talented enough. I think uh, they have the best quarterback in, let me think, at least in that SEC West division for sure. Uh, and in the SEC when everybody has quarterback struggles, that's that speaks volumes. I think they're the real deal. They have lots of talent on defense, lots of talent on offense. They are equipped to make that run. I think last year was a great building block for them. I think you see Auburn uh, struggling. They got blown out by LSU. So Ole Miss, uh, a, an opponent that was definitely going to be a challenge for them, they get to host Auburn at home. That looks like a much more winnable game for them. So now you have a LSU and Mississippi State. LSU is looking really good, and, and Mississippi State is an in-state rival. So those are the two big games to circle and look out for. Their SEC West uh, schedule is very easy, very manageable for them. So... I think it, I think it, the cards are, are playing very nicely for Ole Miss at this point with this big victory for them. No, I agree with you. I mean, I certainly think they have the talent and they're capable of doing it. Anytime you can knock off a top two team, you certainly have talent. But the only point I'm making is that they did it last year. They they were at one point in the college football playoff. I believe they were either number one or number two. I can't remember which Mississippi school was number one. I think it was Mississippi State and Ole Miss was. Number yeah, Mississippi two. State was a. Uh... Yeah, made it to number one. Yeah, so but but the point is, Ole Miss was one of the top four teams. At one point, three SEC teams were in that playoff field, and none of those three made it. It was Alabama that got the represented that got the nod. So again, I, I think they have the talent to do it. I think they can do it. 
the question is whether or not they won't fall so be claimed by an upset or something along those lines and it's it's a lot tougher than people think and i think that you know we'll see it's going to be interesting maybe the sec will go through a bit of a changing of the guard but time will tell i'm not about to write off anyone who loses early in the season especially when they get a preseason head start as you noted in your blog that's why those preseason rankings are so valuable alabama can afford to slip up and recover i don't think Ole Miss can Ole Miss has to play they can't certainly can't afford to lose in November, and so they 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 definitely have to at least win the SEC if they want to make that playoff. Yeah, uh, I mean, Alabama goes to Georgia in two weeks. They have a cupcake in between. They need to figure some stuff out. Oh, certainly, yeah, pretty quickly. Yeah, like who their quarterback is, and don't mess with it. Yes, absolutely. All righty. Well, today we had a lot of NFL action, and so tonight the Packers and Seahawks are playing. We won't get to talk about that. Obviously, we won't get to talk about the Monday night game, but it was a wild day in the NFL. If I were to tell you that Washington, Jacksonville, and Oakland would all win on the same day, would you believe me? Nope, absolutely not. And throwing Tampa Bay for good measure, but Washington, Jacksonville, and Oakland were big surprises. Oakland over Baltimore, Jacksonville over Miami and Washington over St. Louis. That's the thing about the Rams. The Rams get up for the Seahawks, but they always seem to have a letdown after that. I can't figure that team out. Bob, what what are your thoughts on some of these games? I mean, Oakland laid 37 out of really good Ravens defense. Yeah, unfortunately, I did not have a chance to watch that game. Um, I, I'm very surprised that the Rams were not able to walk by the Redskins the Redskins I am regarding as the worst team in the NFL I guess I might have to rethink that they went up 17-0 at half uh Kirk Cousins was able to to manage the game well Matt Jones this dude came out of nowhere 123 yards and two touchdowns uh they had a really good game and for the Rams we talked about the defensive line a lot in the last podcast for them to not be able to pressure Cousins not force an interception or, or really any turnover it's uh it's concerning it's why i was hesitant to pick them to make the playoffs because they are so up and down and that offense still remains inconsistent nick Foles, 17 for 32 only 150 yards passing 67 yards rushing on the ground that's not good uh they they need to figure some stuff out i had said in our preseason thing that Oakland was the most intriguing team. They get destroyed by Cincinnati and then they hang 37 on the Ravens. They're about to face the Browns next week, but which Raiders team is for real? I think it has to be somewhere in between. Uh, They did hang 37, but they also allowed 33 to the Ravens who uh, weren't able to do much in week one against the Broncos defense. So, it's it's definitely somewhere in between uh they i don't think Derek carr is going to be 351 yards three touchdowns every week i don't think michael crabtree and mark cooper are going to be i hope cooper is because he's on my fantasy team well he's a rookie i think he's gonna have up and downs michael crabtree has never really come to fruition as a number one wide receiver they both had 100 yard games a multiple reception game so this is this is them yeah, Behind no, I, I think he... Because Cooper's going to win Rookie of the Year and <laughs> lead my fantasy team to glory. I hope all those come true for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm pulling for you. And he's a very good number two wide receiver with Amari Cooper as your number one. 
but I think it, it has to be somewhere in between this Oakland Raiders team that blows out the Ravens and the team that got blown out about the Bengals. Uh, maybe we'll see that when they go on the road against Cleveland. Maybe. Maybe we'll see somewhere in the middle. I don't know. We'll find out uh, this Sunday. Uh, but the Dolphins, you were not on their bandwagon. So this is a good weekend for your predictions. I mean, how do you lose to the Jaguars? I mean, seriously. I mean, you're supposed to have one of the best defenses, these defensive fronts at least. That just baffles me that their defense didn't do much against a kind of anemic Jaguars team. Yeah, it definitely baffles me as well. I think they righted the ship at halftime. Jaguars scored 20 points in that first half, only three after the half. Miami still has some very key issues that were not addressed in their big offseason. One, the running game is still atrocious. They only rushed it 16 times for 42 yards. You can't do that. Uh, and their their passing defense is still not good. Uh, Blake Bortles had to throw it a lot to get to these numbers, but 273 yards for two touchdowns. Allen Robinson had a huge day, six receptions and 155 yards. Uh, they this is the Dolphins are still an incomplete team in my opinion. And if the Jaguars can exploit some of those weaknesses, imagine what some better teams are going to be able to do against them this year. Like the team they have to face twice, the Patriots. Yeah, that, that could like be a problem all, for them. Like all three of those teams that they have to face twice, I think they're all... That's true. That division's looking better than we thought it would be outside of New England. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know what to make of Buffalo after the blowout that they had, but I I definitely think they're better than Jaguars, and I, I'm getting more sold on the Jets. We'll see uh, what happens Monday night, but... Yeah, the Dolphins. I I don't know. They have, they have some things to figure out for sure, and I'm not. I'm still not sold on them. This does not do anything to to convince well, me otherwise. If you weren't sold on them before they lost to Jacksonville, you're certainly not sold on them after they lost to Jacksonville. No. <laughs> um, two quick ones. Did you see the Thursday night game at all, Bob? Yeah, I I was in and out watching it. I saw the end though. Unbelievable. That was quite the finish. That was unbelievable. A fumble, a walk-off fumble. How many times have we seen that in the NFL? Yeah, that was crazy. There was a point in that game where I thought, like, I just thought to myself, man, Peyton really is done. Like, this is what we're going to see for the whole year. Like, he's not that good. He was able to pull out some magic. I think you're going to see a lot of that, a lot of low scoring games for him but the defense is able to keep him in it and he's going to pull out some magic at the end kind of pull out some vintage Peyton when needed but I think it's going to be an interesting year for him and there are going to be some struggles well first the first two weeks he faced the Ravens defense tough defense despite what you may think against Oakland that's a tough defense then on a short week has to go to the second toughest place to play behind Seattle in Kansas City which was the loudest stadium before the the Seahawks stadium, and play that defense. So in his defense, pretty tough opening two weeks right there. But I will agree with you. He did not look like the Peyton Manning of old until that second half. He has had some struggles. Father time has caught up to Peyton Manning. He is not going to be consistently elite every week, which means there's going to be more pressure on C.J. Anderson and Ronnie Hillman and the Denver Broncos to balance out that offense and help him out and take some pressure off of him. 
not because he can't throw it, but just to avoid putting him in harm's way of taking those hits because it doesn't matter what his state is. Defenders are going to tee off on him every chance they get. I'm not even talking about sacks. He's going to get hit if he drops back the throw eventually, even if it's not a sack, and defenders are going to do this more and more knowing that he is breaking down. And he is breaking down. There's no way around that. So Denver's going to have to kind of find a happy medium between relying on Peyton and giving him some relief. However, I will say, though, the Denver Broncos defense is looking pretty good, and that is at least something that they can fall back on if the off while the offense figures this out. Yeah, and to be honest with you, a, a struggling, slower Peyton Manning is only going to benefit that defense as they slow down the game, as the clock ticks a lot more with their power running attack that they're going to try and implement. So that defense uh, has only added to the pieces from last year. They were a good defense last year, but uh, the offense that they are now playing alongside with uh, is only going to benefit them. I do want to say, I, I, I totally forgot about this. Baltimore went into Oakland without Terrell Suggs, and I'm not sure uh, what that kind of impact that had on the, the psychology of that defense. Uh, he could be People are saying that this might be a career-altering injury for him, so I'm not sure if they were just down on that, if they're lacking their leadership to give up that many points to Oakland. It's going to be interesting to see how that Ravens defense bounces back from the loss of their captain. Still no excuse to give up that many points. but No, certainly not. Uh, you got 10 other guys on a very good unit. you got to figure it out. But I will say, though, Terrell Suggs is a huge, probably the heartbeat of that defense kind of transferred from Ray Lewis to Terrell Suggs. So that's a big blow for them. I'm not a huge Terrell Suggs fan, but I never want to see someone's career end or season end. So I don't like seeing injuries like that. But um, we'll see how Baltimore can respond as the season goes on. Speaking of another team that is decimated by injuries, Des Bryant, as most people know, out for at least six weeks. Now those reports look like 10 to 12 weeks and to add to that, despite getting the 2-0, Dallas had to pay the price of another key star, Tony Romo. Looks like a sprained shoulder or a separated shoulder, something like that. Six weeks they're looking at, maybe. That's like the optimistic report. They're down their quarterback. They're down their top weapon. Bob, Dallas has fallen apart. Yeah, absolutely. Tony Romo, broken left collarbone. Ah, uh, so I was wrong on both counts. Which is... <laughs> yeah, and that takes at least six weeks to heal. So, yeah, it, it's going to be a rough going for them. Brandon Whedon is now their starter. You and I know what Brandon oh, Whedon is. Boy. <laughs> and to combine that, Brandon Whedon doesn't even have Des Bryant to throw to. So, yeah. Yes, Terrence uh, Williams. Six- I've been big on him in my fantasy league. You better throw to him. Well, you know... Des Bryant is Des Bryant. He would be a star on any team. I'm not sure what any of those other pass catchers are without Tony Romo. So I, you know, Terrence Williams, I think has some talent, but let's see what happens when Whedon's throwing the ball, not Romo. It's going to be a rough six weeks and uh, they need to find a way to tread water. Thankfully for them, their biggest rival in the division was the team they beat 
today was a team they they embarrassed on offense and the week Chip before Kelly they is, beat the giants so their two biggest rivals they're two and oh against yeah yeah i i think the division can still be winnable for them because the rest of the teams in this division are not inspiring at all i thought the eagles would be better than this sam bradford is not looking good demarco murray looks terrible right now uh I'm more concerned about the Eagles than I am about the Cowboys, even though the Cowboys are out there two biggest stars. This Eagles offense does not look good at all. Yeah, that's the understatement of a century. I mean, geez, it's looking like Marco Murray is missing that Dallas offensive line more and more with every game that goes by. And the Eagles are, you know, when Chip Kelly assembled this roster, it was the ultimate boomer bust team. And we're kind of seeing the bust side of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm surprised that they've looked this bad, to be honest with you. I thought that what they, the pieces they, they tinkered around with and traded, you know, Nick Foles for Sam Bradford, I didn't think that was that much of a, a change. DeMarco Murray for LaShawn McCoy, I didn't think that was that big of a change. I think what their problems are, uh, offensive line, they're worse. Uh, Evan Mathis is gone. Uh, the defense is a little bit worse, I think. They cut some big guys. And they don't have a big-time receiver like they had in Jeremy Macklin. Now they just have a bunch of pieces that could be good if they had a good good game plan, which I think Chip Kelly has. And if they had a good quarterback, which I'm not sold on Sam Bradford. I mean, you, you need more from it when Mark Sanchez has looked so good in this offense at points. Uh, you, you, you have to expect more from Bradford. Yeah, going back to the Cowboys real quick, looking at their schedule, they do have a bye week within their next six games. They have Atlanta, New Orleans, New England, by then the Giants and Seattle. New England and Seattle without Tony Romo are definite losses. They might, I mean, New Orleans has struggled. Atlanta's 2-0. I think they kind of need to get to 3-1 to weather the storm of that kind of tough schedule without Tony Romo. If he can, if Tony Romo can be back November 8th against Philadelphia, that would be a very optimistic uh, timetable for him. Yeah, just listening to those the teams you named off, I I think they could go two and four in that schedule, and that would put them at four and four when Romo comes back. Still a very winnable situation for them, but uh, a very small window with little room for error for sure. Alrighty, man. Well, we have talked a ton. We've got a lot of baseball in there, a lot of football in there, so definitely pack this podcast with a lot of great information. Thank you all for listening once again. But, unfortunately, all things must end. We'll be back next week with more sports talk on What Are You Talking About? Presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. Until then, please follow us on Twitter, FenleyRDSports. Please follow us on Instagram, FenleyROADSports. And please come back to FenleyRoadSports.com for more content and more podcasts. And thank you, of course, for your continued support. support. Subscribe on iTunes and come back next week for more sports talk. All right, I'll talk to you soon, Chris. Okay, take care, Bob.